Well, hello and uh, welcome to another exciting and stimulating and packed edition of Pep Talk, the persuasive evangelism podcast. I'm Andy Bannister from the Solas Centre for Public Christianity uh, based in Dundee and I'm joined from all the way down the other end of the country by my uh, my vivacious uh, co-host. It's a game on Pep Talk where we try and invent different, use different adjectives every, every episode so I have my my Rogers Theosaurus on my phone. Uh, my vivacious co-host uh, Christy Mayer. Christy how are you uh, How are you doing this afternoon? Doing well thanks, vivacious. I mean I'll take that at the end of the year, I'll take that. Thanks Andy. Yeah, take that and put that in the, definitely put that in the bank. And if you're playing Scrabble on a triple word score, you know you're golden. Um, Well, we are joined uh, as ever by a a kind of fascinating uh, and uh, and stimulating uh, guest, as we always like to have on uh, on Pep Talk. So we are joined uh, from a leafy shire of Leicestershire uh, by Michael Otts. Michael, uh, welcome to Pep Talk. Hello, good to be with you. So for those who uh, who don't know uh, Michael, Michael's been around uh, for a long time, done stuff with, with Solas before, spoken at, um, at conferences and various bits and pieces. Michael, is uh, you're an independent itinerant uh, evangelist. You work a lot with the Association of Evangel- Evangelists. You're a lot with students and groups like like IFES and, and so on and so forth. So all kinds of bits and pieces that you do. You're also an author. And I've got a new book, Making Sense of Life, uh, coming up in the in the autumn, I think. Is that right? That comes out? That's right, yeah. Excellent. Um, but one of the things that, that I think interested us for getting you on, on the show... Oh, I should also mention, by the way, Michael is also the co-presenter of a, of a wonderful podcast uh, called Pod of the Gaps that Michael and I and Aaron Edwards, who's also been on Pep Talk, present. So I love the, the small Christian world that everyone's closely linked in with, with, uh, with kind of everything else. But Michael, you do a lot of student um kind of ministry as as christy has in the past and still does and, and, and i do but you particularly spend lots of time on university campuses and of course it fascinates me that that it's often from the universities right that the the big ideas and cultural shifts come they start you know in some academic high on caffeine gets an idea and then it you know trickles out into the into the culture and things begin changing um so i wonder as you've been doing kind of ministry on 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 campuses over the last recent years or so you know what are some of the nature of the questions that we're seeing about faith in my hunch is some of those questions are changing uh, and that some of the issues that, that people have when it comes to thinking about the big questions of life and faith and god and are not the ones they might have been 20 or 30 years ago is that the case what what are you seeing yeah, good question. I should clarify before that, um, describing myself as an itinerant evangelist is always slightly risky. Um, a good friend of mine, another evangelist, um, used to describe himself as that. And uh, he um, once had a letter writing, written to him and it said, Dear Illiterate Evangelist. Uh, so, so maybe itinerant is not the... Well, I like that. Although I, had, I heard the story actually of a random tangent of, a, of, a, of an occupational therapist um, who was going on a trip through the Middle East and was hauled over by security with a very irate immigration officer going, aha, so you admit it, you admit it. And they had misread it as occupation terrorist. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> that puts things into perspective. But uh, yes. Like, it's like when you go into America and like the question is, do you intend to carry out terrorist activities? And it's like, 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 who is going to say yes to that? Like, no. <laughs> life would get very interesting very quickly. But um, well, yeah, if you if you do want an interesting life, you could say yes, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, so you, as you say, I've, I do a lot of stuff in university campuses. Although, ironically, of course, the last year I've been on very few university campuses. Um, although, still doing a lot of ministry with students via Zoom and other platforms, of course, are available. Um, so yeah. I, I guess one of the things looking back, you know, I started student ministry in the, um, the early 2000s, um, 
first student mission. I remember back in, I think it was 2004, I was involved in one. So it was soon after 9-11. It was around the time that Richard Dawkins had written The God Delusion, which became like a number one bestseller. And like, I think every MP in Parliament had read it over their summer kind of recess and stuff. So it was a really um, significant book. You know, he was being called on to kind of chat shows and stuff. And, and it looked like new atheism was the thing that was going to kind of take off, although there wasn't much new about it. It was really just old atheism repackaged. And, and actually, a lot of students had imbibed those ideas. You know, some would have read Dawkins, but even if they hadn't read him, it was like these ideas percolate down. And and so you could, as a way in, kind of deal with the kind of antagonism that people had towards the Christian faith from the kind of new atheists as an avenue for conversation. So a lot of our talks and a lot of our conversations would start with some of people's kind of verbalised objections, you know, why would God allow suffering or, you know, why would God send people to hell and so on. And one of the things that we've discovered over the last 15 years or so is that those kind of questions have probably kind of dropped off in terms of like less people are asking them. Um, and this really came home to me a couple of years ago. I was in Croatia doing a, a university week and we were going around the campus asking people the question, um, does, the presence in suffer- does the presence of suffering in the world um, disprove the existence of God? And we kind of expected a number of people to say yes. And then off the back of that, to obviously have a conversation. And pretty much everyone said no, which obviously was a bit of a killer for the conversation. So like, where do you go from there? But then, of course, you'd ask them, like, well, why? Why why not? And they would be like, well, what on earth has God got to do with suffering? And they had no kind of Christian framework. They hadn't thought through the kind of philosophical implications of an all-powerful, loving God allowing suffering and all the things that go along with that. And so for them, it just wasn't an objection. It wasn't a kind of way in. And so these kind of classical kind of apologetic objections that we have may have been an issue for a previous generation, may still be an issue for probably kind of those in older generations, perhaps, and potentially become issues for those who start to understand something about the Christian worldview as they start to think about how that works. But they're not the kind of start point for most students. Um, Most students now, I think, would describe themselves as agnostic if they're going to self-identify as any kind of belief system as opposed to atheist. And so I think we're starting in a very different kind of point. Like, and we've realised that if we take those objections, we're kind of trying to answer the questions that people aren't asking, which is never a good thing to do. And um, so we've had to kind of have a reshift and a rethink in terms of how do we then engage people who, you know, it's not only they haven't had Christian experience, their parents generally haven't been kind of churched or had any kind of Christian understanding. So it's not so much that they're rebelling against the Christianity of their parents, which is what most atheists were 20 years ago. Um, the strongest atheists were all kind of from a Christian background of some sorts. Um, They're just not rebelling against anything as such in terms of belief system. Um, And there's opportunities that go with that, but there's also some real challenges that go with that. It's really great, um, Michael, just to hear, and again, about the the many different ways in which the the Lord has placed you to be able to speak about Jesus, you know, in the continent and, and also in the UK as well. I'm guessing, well, we know there are different ways, aren't there, in which we answer some of those, um, respond to some of those questions, if it is in Croatia or if it is in the UK. If we're thinking about the UK, what what kind of, what, how have you had to change the way in which you communicate the gospel? And how do you do that um, in such a way that you don't change the gospel? I imagine that might be one of the questions that kind of comes up um, every now and again. What does that look like for you? Mm. Yeah, so I think 
taking the second question first, if I can, and then thinking about it biblically, which is always a good thing to do. One of the things I love about the Acts of the Apostles is that the apostles throughout the book of Acts are proclaiming the gospel. And the core of the gospel is Christ died and rose again. You need to repent and believe. And if you do, you'll have forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the core of the gospel that they get to every time. Um, But their start point is always different. Um, And so, you know, it may be um, uh, a incident like a a dramatic healing, or it may be a question that's been asked or whatever. Um, It may be an idol that is being set up to an unknown God or or, or whatever. And and they're taking these very different start points, but they're getting to the same destination. So so I'd say um, whatever culture we're in, whatever generation we're in, our aim is we want to speak about Christ. We want to proclaim his death and resurrection. But that's really the place that we start. We've got to work out what are the touch points, what are the connection points um, in our culture? How can we build from those things to the core of the gospel? Um, And when there's no framework, this is even more important. And I believe, in in a sense, in Acts 17, that's what Paul was doing. He's building this kind of Christian framework so the gospel makes sense. So we Remember, we did an international outreach in uh, Bournemouth, where I used to live, and there was... uh, a lady from East Asia who'd come, she'd kind of heard the gospel in the such that she'd heard that Christ had died for her, had risen, that she needs to repent and believe and so on. She had made a profession of faith, inverted commas, um, but nothing seemed to change until one of the local Christians started doing this regular Bible study with her. And they started at the beginning, looked at Genesis chapter one, and um, like God created the heavens and the earth. And she looked at my friend rather surprised and she said, oh, God singular. And my friend was like, well, yeah. And she was like, oh, what about the other ones? <laughs> so she'd heard the core of the gospel. She'd heard that Jesus had died for her so she could be forgiven, and have a relationship with God. And that sounded great. And that sorted the Christian God out, but she had all these other gods. So there was kind of a case of like, she'd heard the core of the gospel, but she needed to hear the, go- the gospel in context. And so um, I guess that's one of the things that we're having to do more, not assuming any kind of initial, you know, previous understanding, build the context of a kind of Christian worldview, but then look at where that, touches upon and connects with issues that people really care about Um, and I think one of the things I always say to people is like lots of people today say they're not interested in God or not interested in Christianity like they're apathetic but everybody's interested in something like I've never yet met someone who's not interested in literally anything like so the question is well what are people interested in and then how can we build bridges from what they are interested in to to the gospel and how does that connect Mm. so yeah, for instance, yeah. on university campuses, like what are the buzz topics today? It's probably topics like equality, um, topics like human rights, um, topics like environmental concern. Like those are things that exercise people, they get passionate about. Do those things connect to the gospel? Well, of course they do. And in fact, the gospel provides like the best foundation for those things, much better than a, a secular worldview. So so I think those give us avenues in to thinking about the, the bigger story of, of the gospel as in Genesis to Revelation, but then homing in more specifically on on the heart of the gospel on Jesus. One of the things I just like about that that mission story you told is that's one of the few times I've heard the word international and Bournemouth in the same sentence. So I thought that was that was, uh, that was quite impressive. Um, Michael, obviously, you know, in terms of you were talking about universities uh, where you spend a lot of your time, you know, you're also a full-time evangelist, and so you spend a lot of time thinking about this. What about folks who don't have the time that say, you know, you, I, or Christy have to be sort of, you know, reading kind of books mm. and spending our time immersed in all this? But how can folks begin to find out what those issues are, you know, among their, among their friends, whether it's university settings or whether people listening to this are in the workplace or wherever? What are some of the ways that we can find those 
mm. those those key issues. Mm. Well, I think there's kind of two ways you can do this. One is you can like spend a long time reading all the latest bestsellers, kind of trawling through the kind of cultural comments in the middle of the Saturday paper and like watching every film and every new Netflix series. And, and that can be fine, but it can kind of be exhausting because, you know, like in the old days, like there were four channels to go through when I was growing up. You could basically watch what everyone was watching and kind of understand what people were thinking about and talking about. Whereas now, like, there is more content that is being digested than there is physically hours in the day. So if we're wanting to stay kind of culturally abreast and we think that means having to watch and read everything, then we're just we're going to be exhausted. So I guess the other option is you can just talk to people. Like, you can actually, like, chat to your neighbours or colleagues. And I found a question. I stole this off a friend of mine called Bruce. And he's he's great because basically this is the question that he asks people. He just says to people, "What are your beliefs and values?" Now it's a very like a very simple question, but it's profound. If you just say to someone, for instance, "What are your beliefs?" Most people in our culture today say, "Well, I don't have any," because they think by that like you know organized religion. But if you say to someone, "What are your beliefs and values?" Like no one yet has come back and said, "Well, I don't have any," <laughs> because it's it's like open, and lots of people will say, "Well, I, I don't have beliefs, but I do have values, things that are important to me," and it basically gives them the opportunity to say, "Well, this is what's really important to me." You know, I'm really passionate about the environment, or I'm really passionate about you know equality or trans rights or whatever it might be. You know, and then that gives you the opportunity to ask more questions. And, you know, I believe, you know, following the model of Jesus, asking questions is a great tool that we have in evangelism. So once you know what their values and their beliefs are, um, okay, well, how did that come to be? Like, what got you excited about that, got you into that? You know, why do you think that's really important? Um, Where do you think we get those ideas from? Is it like a kind of deeper kind of second level question? Um, Why are these things like such, such big issues? Um, and a lot of people haven't thought through those issues on that kind of level. They're just like, well, well, obviously they are, aren't they? We all know. I remember, to give you an example, having a conversation with a, a student on a train in, in Hungary. And we were traveling from Romania to Hungary. We had like a long time <laughs> on this train, uh, like longer than anticipated as well. And he was an environmental, well, environmental science student. And I kind of got chatting and said, okay, like, why did you study that? And he's like, oh, I'm really passionate about the environment. It's really important. And then I said, um, like, um, what got you involved in it? It's like, well, it's really important that we care for the environment. And then I asked him the, the kind of ne- next level question. I said, well, why do you think it's really, really important? And he looked at me a little bit kind of strange and he said, well, because because it is, isn't it? I said, but, but why? And he's like, well, because it is. Like, everyone knows it is. And then I'm like, well, do they? Like, I mean, everyone, if everyone knew that it was important, then surely we wouldn't be in the problem we're in now. Like, the problem is there are some people in the world who don't care about the environment. Um, so what makes you think that you're right and they're wrong? And he was like, well, because I am. <laughs> and I thought, well, yeah, like, I, I think you probably are right, but that's not going to, like, win an argument, is it, with someone, that's not going to persuade someone, like, if they don't agree with you. Like, and and then he's like, well, why do you think we should care for the environment then? I'm like, well, actually, I think it's got a lot to do with my Christian faith. And he's like, well, how does that work? And then we had a great opportunity to talk about actually how, like, in the Christian understanding, you know, this world doesn't ultimately belong to us, it belongs to God. It's been gifted to us to look after and therefore humans have a unique capacity to do good for the world. And we can see that but we have a unique capacity to screw up the world. And we can certainly see that as well. And, and the Bible talks about how God's set in place a way of sorting out the mess. And so from his passion, we were able to get to firstly talking about God in general, and then eventually talking a bit more specifically about 
um, the heart of the Christian faith. So, so yes, yeah, start where people are at and then kind of try to take them on that journey. That's, uh, that's such a great example of a, a really, like a, just an easy way of excavating and getting beneath the surface of any kind of big question or passion or um, thing that people care about. I guess um, in the UK at the moment, uh, we were talking about this earlier on, but there seems to be quite a bit of apathy. And you've spoken um, on apathy for one of the SOLAS um, events. How... Um, how might you go about what that? What might a conversation like that look like for apathetic friends, family, and and what is apathy anyway? I mean, it's something that we hear about quite a bit at the moment. But how do we go about? Um, yeah, how do we go about sharing Christ to, to apathetic hearts? Yeah, I guess one thing I'd say is that people are only apathetic about things they don't think matter. So if, as long as they think that something is unimportant, they'll be apathetic about it. And to be honest, there's lots of things that I'm apathetic about, like a whole load, like crochet. I'm sorry, like, you know, for, for all your listeners that like love crochet. Really? Michael, you surprises. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I'm very passionate about sourdough. So if that wins over some other listeners, I don't know. But, you know, sorry, just trying to pluck something off the top of my head. But it, obviously, if we think something's important, then then we will be more passionate about it. Um, and I think for a lot of people, like Christianity is an irrelevance. That's why they're apathetic about it. And like I was saying earlier, it's not that people are apathetic about everything. I guess what we need to do is try and find out what they're passionate about. And I think, yeah, to be fair, for some people, that's kind of easy. You find it straight away. Uh, for some people, that is harder. Like you've really got to like get to know them or kind of ask a lot of questions um, to work out, you know, what area does this person really kind of get concerned? What are, what are their real passions? Um, and so I think starting there, you know, and then trying to, I mean, Francis Schaeffer, the um, uh, the Christian philosopher, and he was quite significant in the kind of mid to late 20th century. Uh, anyway, but he talks about taking the roof off someone's position. So in other words, we kind of all live in our comfortable houses, like our philosophical houses. And, um, uh, most people in the West are quite comfortable with a kind of a, a functional atheism that's not really thought through. It's just kind of secularism that says like everything can be rationally explained and there's a rational explanation for the way we live and so on. Um, and what he says, you need to kind of ask questions so that people kind of have the roof taken off and they start to see the inconsistencies of their own worldview or their own thinking. Um, so to actually help someone, so to give you another example, so I remember chatting to a, another student who said, well, you know, she'd, I just, she'd been in a talk, but she hadn't come to the talk that I was giving because she was interested in my talk. She'd come because her friend had invited her and she came for the food, I think, which is fair enough, you know, like most people do. I'm, I'm not egotistical enough to think that most students come because they've looked at the name Michael Otts and they think that's their motivation <laughs> to come to the talk. But, but anyway, so she's there. I'm chatting to people after the talk. I basically say to her, like, what did you think of the talk? And she's really honest because she's not British. And and she basically says, like, oh, I'm not really interested. And I was like, well, thanks for your honesty. I said, so what are you interested in? Um, assuming, like we said, that everyone's interested in something. And she's like, well, I just think love's the most important thing in life. So I said, okay, well, like, could you define it for me? And she's like, well, like, like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, what, what is love? And she thought for a moment and she, I'm denied. And she's like, well, I'm not sure. I said, well, can I give you a definition of love? And she said, well, sure. So I said, well, what about this? Love is a chemical reaction that's evolved in our brains to make us attracted to people, generally of the opposite sex, so that we reproduce and pass in our DNA. 
And she kind of looked at me and maybe because her boyfriend was sitting next to her, she says like, well, that's not love. <laughs> and I said, can you tell me like why love is anything more than that? And she's like, well, well I'm not sure I can. Um, and then she was like, well, what do you think love is? And I said, well, actually, I think it's got a lot to do with God. And again, we're able to kind of explain from a kind of Christian point of view, how love is central to who God is, central to who we are, because we're created in the image of God and so on. And, and then the next question was, well, if, if love is what it means to be human, then why is love so hard to come by? Which then, of course, gets to the problem of sin and, and so on. So, I mean, like, they're not all as neat and as quick as that at all. Like, I'm just kind of showing she was like the classical apathetic student who didn't care to hoots about the resurrection of Jesus, which my talk had been on. But she did care about something and and trying to kind of tap into that and ask yeah. questions. I think the other thing I would say is that, like, obviously a conversation after an evangelistic talk with a student things can happen quite quickly in that environment. Um, conversations like with my neighbours over the last year, uh, we just recently moved, but we were living somewhere else for 18 months. Like they happen more slowly, like, and and that's okay. Um, our prayer and hope is that those conversations will come up and and we're ready and like often mm-hmm. dropping bait into the conversations to see if things will come up. But uh, but yeah, so, but, but that's the ultimate trajectory. That's where we want to get to. That's what we're wanting to do. It may take longer or shorter, but at least if we know where we're wanting to go, we might get there one day. Brilliant stuff. Michael, this has been a, an absolutely kind of, kind of fascinating conversation. And I think, um, you know, I think uh, your book is going to be really helpful to folks. We'll put a, well, we won't put a link to it in the show notes yet because it's not out yet, but we'll uh, give it a good plug <laughs> when it does. And actually for folks to look out for, yeah. so next year on the Solas website, we're running a series across the year called Have You Ever Wondered, where we're going to take sort of 25, 26, those kind of topics that Michael's been talking yeah. about um, and sort of just, yeah. you know, write little pieces designed to make people think, you know, have you ever have you ever wondered about some of these uh, these these big questions in life, Michael? Really grateful uh, that you've taken the time. It's been great having you involved with with Solas with the po- with the podcast that you and I do together. Every blessing on all the work uh, that you're doing. Excited that you're going to be back doing stuff in person in many con the context yeah. now. Now COVID is over, and uh, thanks once again for joining us on Pep Talk. Thank you. And uh, from Christy and I, uh, it's uh, goodbye from us. Thanks for joining us, and we'll be back in two weeks' time with a different guest uh, but another topic will hopefully help you uh, get more confident and excited about sharing faith with your friends and your neighbours and your colleagues but for now goodbye